0: Well, try and remember a time that you faced a desperate situation that led to fierce determination. So let me give you an example of a desperate situation for me that led to some fierce determination. Last April, I had the privilege of traveling to Kenya with a friend where we were able to lead worship at a missions conference. Some friends who are serving out in Kenya at Tenwick Hospital, uh, just four or five hours outside of Nairobi. Uh, as doctors, invited us to a conference of doctors and nurses to lead worship. We had a wonderful time visiting uh, with our friends and getting to know a lot of new friends. So at the end of our time, we're making our way back to Nairobi, and there had been torrential downpours, and uh, there had been rain that had washed out roads, uh, and so the main road was backed up. And we're still about three hours out from Nairobi, and we were heading heading back home. We had to catch our plane, and we're completely backed up. Uh, And there's just, I don't know, hundreds of cars, literally. And we're waiting our turn to cross rushing water. That's what we're doing. We're in a small van with small wheels. You know the vans that you never see on the streets of St. Pete, but they've got wheels like the size of a Frisbee. That's what we're in. And we've got to cross uh, rushing water. I don't know how deep the water was. At this time, I didn't know how deep the water was. So we're waiting to cross the water, and I told the driver, I was, yeah, we had been waiting for a long time, and I said, hey, could I, uh, could I take a break, you know, like over there behind the bushes? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. No, actually, wait, I, I want to I wanna cross the, the water first. And, I, and then he goes, no, go, 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 go. And I was like, really? Okay, I can do this? So I, I ran, and uh, I don't know, I was however many yards, 50 yards away from the traffic, and all of a sudden i hear the engine start again and the vehicles start to move and i look up and i see my van starting to cross the water and so i start running towards the van And I I, I thought, for sure, they're going to wait. They're not going to cross the water without me. The door was open. I thought, I'll jump in. I'll jump in as they're moving. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get into that van. I mean, you've got to imagine the scene. There are cars stuck in mud. People are out of their cars. People are trying to lift up cars. And here our van is just like gunning it across the water. And I'm just watching it go across the water to the other side. And then it keeps going. I was filled in that moment with desperation (laughs) that led to fierce determination. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I'm looking around. I'm trying to think. I'm going to jump into a car here and and get across. People are yelling at me in in languages I don't understand. Uh, People are kind of making fun of me, too, because I can tell they're laughing at me. And so I'm just like, this is it. And I roll up my jeans, and I just ran through the water. And I didn't know how deep it was going to be or if it was going to take me down. And it came up to my knees, you know. But people are like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? They are all like freaking out. They see this, uh, you know, this guy running through the water and then booking it down the side of the mountain road. And because uh, my van was way down. I'm just running as hard as I as hard as hard I could. And and vehicles that are coming acro- uh, across the water are just zooming by me. And people are like leaning out of their cars, like yelling at me. And, and I'm just running, and I finally get to the van, and the driver said, I knew you would make it. He goes, you can write a book about it. That's what he told me. I was like, what were you thinking? He goes, I had to go. I had to cross the water, or we could have been stuck there for four hours, and you wouldn't have caught your plane. So I was, I was desperate, and it led to some really, uh, some fierce determination to get into that van. Well, our text reveals a a desperate group of people as well. Listen, if you were paralyzed back in Jesus' day, you would have had to beg for money because you wouldn't have been able to work at all. It would have been an incredibly difficult life, a painful life, a life filled with desperation and dependency on others. So let's read here in Mark 2 with this in mind. Chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not, get, uh, could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, if you took the time to read The rest of chapter one, you would have found Jesus driving out evil spirits and healing people of all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. His message of the kingdom is backed up with power over demons, power over sickness. And eventually, Jesus is going to display his power over death itself. He's preaching the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, and he's demonstrating the rule of God over darkness, over sin, over brokenness, over disease. And so it's no wonder the crowds are are growing and gathering. Now, this is the second time he's in Capernaum. He had been there before, and there was a sort of revival. He had been healing many people, and so many people had been pressing in and had heard about him in this area, and so he's back. It's no wonder that the crowds are pressing in to the home where he's staying. The paralyzed man's friends were desperate. They were determined Jesus could help. They were convinced he could heal. They had undoubtedly heard about Jesus' ability. Maybe they had seen it before when he was in Capernaum. If They could only get to him. And so they worked hard to do it. They had to push through the crowd. Now, you know how difficult it is if you're at a concert to get to the front, right? For those of you who love concerts, love to be at big shows, if you're at a concert and there's a huge crowd, listen, people aren't going to give you their space, so, oh, yes, please. You want to get to the front? You want to get in front of me? Go right ahead. <laughs> Black Friday sale. Oh, you want to get in front of me? Yes, by all means. I imagine that's kind of what it was like. They wanted to see Jesus. So all the people were pressing in. They, they couldn't get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They couldn't get through the crowd. I don't know whose idea it was to get on the roof, But that's where they brought him. They brought him to the roof. The men did whatever they had to do to reach Jesus. This is our first point. The men did whatever they had to do to reach Jesus. And Jesus calls this expression faith. When they couldn't make their way into the house, they went onto the roof. Now, most homes in that day had stairs to the roof where people would find relief from the heat of the day. So there were stairs on the side of the house leading up to the roof. It was a place to hang out. The roof would have been made of, of uh, thatch and mud, laid over wooden beams. And actually in the gospel of Luke's account, it, Luke says that there were tiles that they were taking up. So these men bring their friend to the top of this roof and they dig through the roof so they can get their friend in front of Jesus. They're pulling up tiles. They're pulling up thatch. They're breaking through mud. They're doing whatever they have to do. There is determination expressed here, right? Right? I love the scene. I love the determination expressed by these guys. They weren't going to take no for an answer. They couldn't press through the crowd, so they made their way up to the roof. It's creative. It's bold. It's daring. It took determination and courage. Now, imagine those gathered inside the house, though. They're hearing Jesus teach, and all of a sudden they feel some debris, some dust at first, and then some bigger pieces of mud maybe falling down. What's going on? They'll look up. They might see someone punching through the the mud, the thatch, I don't know, ripping up the tile. And all of a sudden, here's this man being lowered on a mat, center stage, right in front of Jesus. What would you have thought? They were doing whatever they had to do to reach Jesus. We see desperation expressed through these men. Jesus saw faith. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, faith, in this instance, involved tearing up someone else's roof. This is faith without words. Faith in action. These men say nothing. They actually make no verbal declaration in this story. But Jesus saw their faith, is what the text says. He saw their faith. It was faith that could be seen. Now, that's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for, actually from from you and I. That's genuine faith. That's what genuine faith really is. Faith is never simply a declaration. We can declare till we're blue in the face. We can make all these declarations we want. But faith is much more than that. It always involves action. Because at its core, faith is trust. Faith is reliance. It is hope. It is rest, it's confidence in the object of our faith or the person of our faith. You know, I can say I have faith that this stool will hold me up. I can talk about it all day. I have great faith that this stool will hold me up. That it will be able to hold up 190 pounds, guaranteed. And I can, yeah, I'm 190. All right, so um, I can talk about that and talk about that, but my faith is seen when I sit. And I rest. This is what they're doing. They have an object of faith that they're pursuing. It's Christ. You know, I show my faith by my life lived. James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. James doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets right to it. So you show your faith by what you do. Your actions give away your core beliefs. It's like a big tattletale. Your actions are like a tattletale. (laughs) They tell on you what you really believe. So Jesus immediately responds to these men as they're lowering their friend down from the roof. And he responds this way, what are you doing? Breaking through my roof? I can't believe this. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He actually stops and he gives them His attention, he's not angry, he's actually concerned and even compassionate, and he responds to their faith with a proclamation of forgiveness. And that leads us to point number two. See, first, the men are doing whatever they have to do to reach Jesus. This is faith. Jesus calls it faith. But second, what do we see in this story? We see that Jesus does something that only God can do. He says to this man, son, your sins are forgiven. He's doing something only God can do. He's forgiving sin. Who talks like that? We read it and we might be familiar with the story and we go on and and like like it's nothing. But who talks like that? Imagine if you were there that day. You were there to hear a good teaching from a, a miracle working rabbi who was speaking with authority and was demonstrating authority over the demonic and healing disease. And all of a sudden, you hear this rabbi kind of just cross the line. He goes a little too far. Actually, he goes really far, and he says, your sins are forgiven you. What? What's he doing that for? What's he pronouncing that for? Have you ever heard someone say something that just left, just kind of, uh, everything just went silent? You hear the crickets. Got a little uneasy and uncomfortable. Oh, did they just say what I think they just said? Is, is he going to go on talking that way? The relationship uh, of sin and sickness in Jesus' day was complicated. Many believe someone's sickness was directly connected to sin, their own sin or their parents' sin. There's actually a story of a blind man who was healed and the disciples said, hey, who who sinned, this man or his parents, that he ended up this way? And Jesus is like, neither. But we can live with this mindset ourselves. Why is this happening to me again? Why is my tooth aching? Why is this cancer appearing? Why are my eyes going bad? You fill in the blank. Why is this happening to me? God's angry with me. Is it because of what I did last week? Is it because of what I did years ago? Listen, the world is broken and it is tainted by sin. We feel the effects of it every day, every day. We live in a a sin-sick world. It's a broken world. My death, my dying, my toothache, my whatever, you fill in the blank, is connected to the brokenness of this world You see, Christianity provides an answer. How do we get so messed up? Rebellion, brokenness, sin. But we go too far when we start to connect all these things that are happening to us to specific sin in our life. It's sin, it's the brokenness of this world. It groans, our world groans, and we groan with it. We're going to feel the effects of sin. But Jesus is on the scene. He's come to do something about our brokenness. He stepped into our sin-sick world. He took on the stuff we're made of, flesh. This scene in Mark 2, it provides us with a, a miniature in that reenactment, or enactment, I should say, of Jesus' entire ministry. If you, wanna, you want a little... A little uh, ministry of Jesus in capsule form, you can look at Mark chapter two because what he's doing is he is healing, he's forgiving, he's bringing renewal. He's bringing the restoration of the kingdom. What is sin? It's not just lying or lusting, that is sin. It's ignoring God. It is rebelling against him by living indifferent to him. But Jesus is calling people to himself as he proclaims the kingdom. He says, repent and believe. Stop living indifferent to God. Stop living as if you are your final authority with you at the center and start living with God at the center, bowing to King Jesus. Repent, turn away from that life and believe. Embrace me as king. Do you know how good it feels to be forgiven. I know you do. You're in an argument with your wife or your spouse, whatever, your, your brother, your sister, a coworker, worker, and, and, and things are bad and you're feeling it. But then you have that, that conversation. Somebody begins by humbling themselves and then that humility kind of just it spreads. <laughs> you have the courage to ask for forgiveness. Yes, I offended you. Please forgive me. Oh, I forgive you. Brother, I forgive you. Oh, thank you. I forgive you. That weight that's lifted, you felt it, right? Imagine the weight that was lifted from this paralyzed man. He didn't expect to hear what he heard from Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Now, check it out. Everyone in that room would have been wondering, many in that room, I should say, would have been wondering, uh, what would this guy do to end up paralyzed? And Jesus is saying, hey, hey everyone, his sins are forgiven. forgiven, cleansed, lifted. The stain is gone. Now you might need to hear this over your life. I don't know how long you've been pursuing Christ. I don't know how long you've been interested in Jesus or bowing your life to Christ. You, you and I, we need to hear this again and again and again. Our sins are forgiven. Put yourself in the paralytic's place Your sins are forgiven you. Now, we still have to answer the question, how in the world can Jesus say that? And we'll get to that. But some of you need to hear this declaration of forgiveness. Because you're believing the lie that your sins are not forgiven. Sins are forgiven in Christ. Have you found rest in Jesus? Have you you repented? Have you believed? the man is still paralyzed. His sins might be forgiven, or at least Jesus has pronounced they're forgiven, but he's still paralyzed. Jesus, in this moment of pronouncing forgiveness over the paralyzed man, he's aware of his greater need. Yes, the four who lowered him down understood he was paralyzed and he needed to come to Jesus, the healer, who could do something about his his paralysis. But Jesus understood the greater need of the paralyzed man, a brokenness, a sin, a paralysis of the heart. And he's meeting that greater need in this moment. Listen, the drive to reach Jesus was rooted in the fact that they believed he could heal their friend's paralysis. But Jesus reaches further and he reaches deeper and he meets his greater need. Now, you might be pursuing something that you believe only Jesus can provide, just like these men were pursuing Jesus because they knew he was the only one who could heal. Now, you might be pursuing Jesus because, you know, listen, God, I've been pursuing a, a spouse. I have not found the right one, and I'm tired, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And so you're, you're going to him for this, or it's a job, or it's healing, or it's whatever. What is it? We all have our thing or our things that we're, we're coming to Jesus for, and that's good. Nothing wrong with these men coming to Jesus as healer. If Jesus were to meet our lesser desires, and he often does, he often does, we would enjoy those gifts for a time and eventually the discontent, though, would would find its way back, no matter what it is. So what does Jesus do? He meets the man's greatest need and he's come to meet our greatest need. You know, I'm tempted to place my identity in my family, in my career, in my health, in my whatever, your, my looks, you name it. Why are you laughing, Lena? I'm tempted to place, I'm just being honest with you, Lena. Okay? I'm going to blame you because you're my hairstylist. Okay. But I'm tempted to place my identity in those things. What are you tempted to place your identity in? Jesus wasn't on the scene as this divine genie. They're just dispense or to give out whatever we ask for. I want healing. Give it to me. He came to do a greater work. He came to pierce through our hardened, calloused hearts. That's what he came to do. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, but I just love those, that series. And we read them all to, to our children. And um, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is my favorite. And uh, it starts that there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> I just love that. That's the opening line. So Eustace Clarence Scrub. I and mean, just, just the name itself, you just like, "Oh, this guy." Well, Eustace, eventually, uh, on this voyage of the Don Treader, the ship, they end up uh, on an island where there is a treasure. And Eustace is longing and lusting for this treasure. And he falls asleep. Just, just lusting after this treasure and wanting it so bad. What he doesn't realize is that this is a, a dragon's treasure. And as he, as he falls asleep and he wakes up, he, he, he thinks there's a dragon sleeping next to him. But in reality, what happens is he discovers he has turned into a dragon because, well, he fell asleep on a dragon's treasure, lusting after it. He became what he had feared the most. And as he gets up, he's afraid of what he has become and what he had feared the most. And he's trying to do something about it. So he's trying to scrape off the, 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 the skin uh, and, and, and he, he's, he accomplishes it. Actually, he, he sheds some of the skin, but it, it's not enough. It's like, uh, it's like layers of, uh, of snake skin just coming off. It's, it's pretty gross, but it's cool. So here he is ripping off this skin, but he, he can't really accomplish what he's setting out to do. He doesn't know what to do. It took an encounter with Aslan, the lion. Skin piercing encounter. The dragon does with his claws what Eustace could not do. He pierces through that knobby, uh, just nasty dragon skin, cuts through. He rips it off. He takes Eustace and he violently throws him into a pool of fresh water and cleans him up. And it's a picture of our redemption, of being cleansed by Christ, of this, this callous brokenness being ripped off our hearts of forgiveness being given we can see in this illustration of Eustace being made new the dragon skin coming off and him being a a boy again but not the same boy as he was before a, a new boy he had an encounter with Aslan that that involved forgiveness Now, this throws what Jesus says about forgiveness, throws the religious leaders into a real fit. He said, your your sins are forgiven you. Now, verse 7 provides the central question of our text. Here's what happens. Why does this fellow talk like that, they say? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There's the central question of our passage. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, I can only forgive someone who's done something against me personally. For instance, let's say that someone came and, and, and punched, Ob- Just you got punched in the face, Alex punched you, and I was like, Alex, dude, I forgive you for that. <laughs> no big deal. Abby wouldn't like that very much. What are you doing, Darren? You didn't get punched in the face. So what is Jesus doing pronouncing forgiveness over this man? see, what we understand is that sin is first and foremost against God. Sin is sin because there's a holy God who's who's created us to follow him. And there are standards, there are, there's, a, there, there's obedience that he requires. So when we sin, our sin, we understand from Psalm 51, is first and foremost against God. And so here's what happens when I'm getting upset at my wife, when I'm when I'm upset at Abby or whomever, and I sin against him or Valerie, it's first and foremost against God. And so I need to go to God and repent and ask for forgiveness. And he's faithful and just, oh, he is good to forgive. But then I need to, then I need to go to my brother or my sister and repent and make things right. But see, Jesus can do this because it's God who is first sinned against. So here's what he says. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts and he asks a question in verse 9. He says, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now on the surface, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Anyone can say that, right? It doesn't require anything. I I could tell you your sins are forgiven, but how can that be proven? But to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, it required physical proof, right? On another level, though, the question is an extremely difficult one to answer. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Because forgiveness always costs something. It always costs something. Now, for Jesus, the forgiveness he pronounces over this man would eventually cost him his life. It wouldn't come cheap. So what we finally see here this morning is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. We've seen his authority over the powers of darkness. We've seen his authority over uh, sickness and disease. And here he's showing that he has authority to forgive sin. But that you may know, he says, that you might perceive or understand that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive. Then he heals. Now the Son of Man... He says that the Son of Man has authority. The Son of Man was the title most often referred, uh, that Jesus most often referred to uh, himself by. It can mean human at its most basic meaning, but it also had a connection to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one like a son of man appears before the throne of God. Appears before the ancient of days. In Daniel's vision of Daniel chapter 7, there is one like a son of man who appears before the throne of God and he is given authority. Authority to do what? To bring God's judgment on the nations, to rule the nations. He is worshiped and he is ruling. Who is this son of man? Who will this son of man be? And Jesus is on the scene saying, so that you might know that the son of man has authority to forgive sin. Oh, the religious leaders would have made the connection quick. Daniel 7, boom. And Jesus refers to this on the the night he's betrayed, the morning of his crucifixion, when he's before the religious leaders, and he he says, I see one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, referring to judgment and and referring to this vision in Daniel 7. He's equating himself with the one in Daniel 7 who is worshipped and who has been given all authority to rule, who is equal with God. So Jesus... He proves his authority to forgive. He calls himself the Son of Man. He's saying, I'm him. I'm the truly human one on mission to confront sin and evil and brokenness and all that's associated with it. I'm him. And so the healing demonstrated Jesus' authority, his right, his power to forgive. Now, church, listen, we are the paralytic in this story. Our greatest need is Forgiveness. And the story ends with awestruck wonder. Everyone leaves that place shaking their head saying, whoa, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anyone do what he just did. Will you do whatever you have to do to get before Jesus? Will you do whatever you have to do to get before the one who does what only God can do? And that's forgive. Have you moved so far away from the reality of your forgiveness that you've grown callous to it? Draw near. Draw near again. Maybe you need an encounter like Eustace with Aslan. Maybe you need Christ to pierce through that dragon skin of your heart. Ask him to do it. He's the only one who can. Will we submit our desires, good desires, for healing, for a spouse, for success, whatever they might be, to him? Submit our desires to him and instead ask him to do his greater work in us lovingly to carefully pierce through our dragon skin to pierce our self-centeredness and remove the sin that distorts and that enslaves well we ask jesus to do that in us has he done that in you who can forgive sin but god alone that's the question of the text who can forgive sin but god alone exactly Exactly. Jesus has the authority to forgive. Let's go to him now. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Jesus, our King, the one who has all authority over us, Jesus, thank you for the reality of what you've done. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made to make forgiveness possible. This forgiveness didn't come cheap, not for this paralyzed man and not for us. We stand in awe. We stand in wonder. We've never seen anything like this. Just like those that day, Lord, we've never seen anything like this. That God, you would do something about our brokenness, that you would step into our sin-sick world and take it on. We're humbled by your grace. Who can forgive sins but you, Lord? I pray, Father, for those in this room who have never looked to you and asked for forgiveness, maybe because they never thought about it before. Lord, I pray they do that today. And that, Lord, they would, they would experience the sweet, uh, burden-lifting grace that you bring. Oh, that they would experience that, we pray. And for any of us, Lord, who have experienced that forgiveness, but we've moved away from it, for any of us, Lord, that are here today that have been placing their hope and trust in other things, things that enslave, oh God, do that faithful work of piercing through and helping us to marvel again at the forgiveness you bring and how you've met our greatest need in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.